0: podcast. And today we're hosting series three of the Leadership Roundtable. And I have some amazing guest panelists here today, and they're going to come and share and give their insight on leadership challenges in today's workplace. So my first guest is Mr. Nicholas Giles. Nicholas, how are you? Uh, We can't hear you, Nick. Oh, Okay, How are you me. doing,
1: Constance? How have you been?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: All doing good. Just dealing with a, uh, a newborn. So uh, yeah. other than that, life is great.
0: Okay, great, great. So Nick, tell the audience who you are and what it is that you do.
1: So my name is Nicholas Giles with 180 Leadership Coaching. Uh, I specialize in leadership coaching, um, leadership training, mainly in DISC and emotional intelligence, as well as um, speaking engagements, dealing with leadership as well.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to be one of our panelists today here at the Leadership Roundtable. And so next, I'm going to bring Lisa Yvette Jones up. Lisa, how are you? I am doing
2: quite well, Constance. Thank you so very much. And congratulations to Nick on the newborn. Yes. Yes, I am Yvette Jones, that chief encouragement, inspirational, and empowerment coach, counselor, and consultant, best selling author, international speaker. Um, leadership coach and trainer. I am the proud chief caring officer of iCare Leadership. I walk alongside those professional women in leadership to help them maximize their leadership influence, all while cultivating those authentic relationships to empower, and all while walking alongside of them in their own self-care success. I tell leaders all the time, self-care is not
0: selfish. It is necessary. Yes. Glad to Constance. Thank you so much for joining us. And so next we have Rodney Burse. And where is Rodney? Well, can't bring them up. Let's see. I hope they don't have to go out. Okay, so while I'm trying to get them up, I may have to get them to go out and come back in because I can't get them to join for some reason. So Jacqueline, Doreen, and Rodney, I need you guys to log out and come back in because I can't bring you to the stage. Thank you so much. And so Nicholas and Yvette, while I have you here. Okay, there's Rodney. Okay, so while I have you here, Rodney has joined us. Good evening, Rodney. How are you?
3: Hello. I was just about to message you and say, okay, I'll log out and log back in. Uh, Nick, what's up, my brother from another? It's good to see you, man.
2: Yes.
3: Good to see you. Hey, Lisa. Uh, So, yes, I'm Rodney C. Burris. I'm one of the nation's top leaders in unlocking human potential and inspiring organizations to greatness. And what that basically means, if you ever had a Christmas tree back in the day, Constance, and one little light bulb would be out right mm-hmm. but it would cause a whole string to go out and sometimes we think that we got to do so much replacing and revamping and sometimes all is needed is a slight fix to make the whole thing light up right and so i've been uniquely gifted and trained to help us see those things i hope to share some of that in our conversations today
0: well thank you so much for joining us and i'm looking forward to what you have to share with us here today at the round table and so next we have Jacqueline Jeter. Good evening. How are you? Hi, everybody. Um, my name is B. Jacqueline Jeter, and I'm excited to be here.
4: I am a speaker, trainer, leader, and coach with the Maxwell Leadership Team. I also am a uh, founder of the of Grow, Lead, and Prosper, which is an organization that comes alongside women in their mid-40s and older as and to help them to see, to you know crush limited mindsets and help them to in the space where God created them to be. I also empower small organizations and uh, corporate organizations to kill the elephants in the room so they can become high performing teams.
0: Thank you so much. And so each of us as leaders, you know, we're faced with many challenges right now in the workplace. And so, you know, we had challenges pre-pandemic, but now post-pandemic or intra-pandemic, whatever you want to call it, we're seeing more challenges. The great resignation, okay? We have that, can't find people to work. Um, Disengaged staff, the quiet quitter. So just kind of tell me briefly, just kind of each of you and Nick, I'll start with you. Just kind of tell me how you gauge the culture in today's workplace.
1: Well, it seems as though the culture today is having a problem with uh, communication. Communication is one of the biggest issues that we see across the board because someone always either thinks that, oh, I'm I'm coming after you, or they somebody has an attitude, or people don't get me, people don't understand me. And when we have those different situations in the in the workplace, then it causes that rift in the relationships. So communication is probably one of the biggest things. And I know the other panelists, I know they have some amazing. Uh, <laughs> so amazing things as well. So I'm going to go with communication on this one.
0: And, you know, communication is something that we do every day. But yet, after all of these years, we have yet to master how to communicate effectively with each other, other how to interact with each other. And, you know, when I think about effective communication, you know, I grew up down south and in the evenings, we sat on the front porch. The whole family was out there. The neighbors were walking by, you know, the neighborhood, whino, whomever, but whatever was going on in that neighborhood, whether somebody got hurt, someone's house was broken into, someone passed away, someone was ill, someone needed help. Everybody knew because why? That porch was the hub and that's where all information was disseminated and everybody knew what was going on. And so I think one of the problems that we have, especially in the workplace, is we do not have a sense of community. We've lost that. And that is what is leading to so many of our problems, especially with communication in our workplace. So Nick, thank you so much for sharing that. Yvette?
2: Constance, thank you. I, you know, I love that question. You know, one of the things that I see and one of the things that I'm teaching leaders all over the country with my agency is letting them know that engagement is huge, but it has to be intentional engagement, not something that you're doing just to check off the box that I've done it. Who And I've done employee engagement. I'm done. It is not. It is intentional. It requires you not only to meet with your team, but then to then meet with each person individually and find out exactly what they need. And also it's listening listening and being silent. It's no wonder that both of those words have the exact same letters, listen and silence, and it's listening to learn. It's listening to learn for them for the sake of learning and understanding what they're going through. Here's another thing in this term that is out there now called compassionate listening. And if you don't mind, if I could just give you a real quick uh, definition of this, and this is by a Buddhist monk, and not that I follow you know, uh, Buddhism or what have you, but I really um, like uh, what he had to say about compassionate listening. And he said, uh, first of all, compassion is the human quality of understanding the suffering and the wanting to alleviate it. And that's something that is so true. We are missing that in the workplace as we are engaging and as we are trying to listen. People want to know that we care. Okay, so when we the whole thing on communication, Nick started off just really powerfully with that communication. And in that communication, sometimes it's being silent to allow that other person to be heard and then never making promises that you can't keep on some of the things that you have heard in that conversation. So trust is huge, too. I have a whole list of things that I wrote down for this, but I'm going to digress there.
0: (laughs) So avoid the used car salesman mentality. You know, be honest, be authentic, you know, and as I tell people all the time, as leaders, we have to change our way of approaching situations and our way of leading. You cannot lead from behind the desk. You cannot. You have to get out and interact, engage as AT&T head out one time, reach out and touch. That's what we have to do.
3: So thank you so much for sharing. Rodney, good evening. Absolutely, so um, I agree with Lisa and I'm gonna just put my picture up so I don't skip too much. Uh, but I agree with Lisa that Nick, you, Nick started us off really well with this idea about communication, right? And you were following up with the idea of community um so communication is what is one of those very interesting words if we break it down right the root word of communication is commune to share like it makes up the word community common right but if we break down that word the co means together so like co-eds they go to school together co-workers work together right the co is that togetherness and then the un, e you and i that part in the middle that's a one unicycle, unitard, universe. So so communication happens, community happens when there's a togetherness, a oneness, a share. And when I feel on the outs, when I feel my job is at, at risk, when I feel like, yes, you said over the email, but I don't get it. We said it in meetings, but nobody heard me. If I don't have that intentional, that caring piece that Lisa was talking about, all of those things kind of undergird communication. And I absolutely believe that is the thing for all relationships, though, right? My wife got five kids. Uh, Constance, my wife got a lot of kids. I don't know where she keep getting these babies from. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Listen, maybe that could be a different show, different day. But, yeah, uh, hey. In our home, we got five children. And without the ability to walk away from an interaction, a text message, whatever it is, with a shared sense of understanding, whether or not we agree whether or not we like it, right? But if we don't even understand what the other one is saying, we, communication hasn't happened. So I absolutely wanna support that right there. I, I find that that's one of the biggest challenges in relationships in general and in the workplace right now.
0: Oh, wow, thank you. I, I like how you broke that down. You know, I like that with the I and the commune and the code working together. I like that, that was a great, great example. You know, great explanation, and I thank you so much. Doreen, good evening. How are you?
5: Good evening, Constance. Thank you so much for having me. Is it okay if I introduce myself? I didn't get yeah, too early. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I apologize. Go ahead. Thank you. My name is Doreen some read. I am a certified business coach. I've been having the opportunity to coach for 13 years and been in marketplace ministry for thir- uh, 25 years. And as a certified business coach, I coach high-performing Christian coaches, 40 and over, how to develop that business blueprint to gain clarity of their specific mission, message, mandate, mantle to market by laying that specific firm foundation for your specific business, making sure our policies and procedures are in place. Now, in regards to this particular question, what I see really lacking is that employers and it's now even shifted to employees, there is a devalue of one another. When, when you are devaluing one another, you're not even talking. You are already perceiving that this person is less than or can't do something. And then what I, uh, to be honest with you and very straightforward, what I've recognized, especially when I was in uh, teaching in a school district and in other Fortune 500 companies, what happens is that when your employer often sees your gifts and talents, that gifting and talent is not recognized or not appreciated. And actually, when they see it, you know that they see it. But what they try to do is act like they don't see it. A lot of times what I'm seeing is that there's like a almost a threatening like, well, I don't want you to know that you have this gifting. I don't want you to know that you can do this. Uh, and, and that is very disturbing because uh, we are spending a lot of money going into debt, going to college to get all of these papers and we're going through and and these proverbial hoops, so to speak. If I do this, then I can gain this. If I do this, then I can gain this. And then what happens is when we graduate with all of these degrees and get all of this experience, we're still not good enough. And what I'm seeing is with the Great Recession, people have had enough. I had enough and I left. I got tired of going through those proverbial hoops it was very frustrating, it was very degrading. And then I was dealing with it from an African-American, a woman's perspective uh, with other African-American women that were threatened for whatever reason. I don't know what the problem is, but once we walk into a room, it's like you're gifting, the word of God says your gift will make room for you, but there is also a threat. There's also a price to having that anointing, that mantle upon your life. Everyone is not gonna appreciate that. Some people do feel threatened by it. And then they try to devalue, and make you think, which is gaslighting, that you don't really possess what you have. Um, then on the other side of that, when you are uh, in a climate where uh, white men are trying to control you, the control, the narrative that you're just an African-American angry woman because you're standing up for yourself, you're smart, you're articulate, you're called aggressive, all of these examples go back to devalue. So we can't even have communication. We can't begin to share, connect, grow and build as leaders in the corporate America setting if we're not even valuing each other. And that has just been my personal experience. And that's why I left and started my own business. I got tired of all the hoopla. I got tired of going through all those hoops and feeling like I was not valued. And so it has paid off for me because now I am a certified business coach to Confident Christian Women Coaches. And what I do is actually teach them how to use those transitional skills that they already possess and have gained over time to build a a Christian coaching business and get to the bag.
0: Thank you so much, Doreen. Thank you so much. Jacqueline, how do you gauge the culture in the workplace today?
4: Um, I think that it comes down like everyone said, Nick kicked the ball off. He did. Um, I love football, so I'm been, yeah, that's my whole thing. But uh, and and then with the engagement with Lisa and and even just uh, um, just all the everyone else was saying, my key thing, I think, is the appreciation piece. Because we have, what, five generations yes. of people in the workplace. And so those are conflicting. Um, having a son who is in one of those generations and trying to follow him as he goes his own path, engages his own path. There are times when he came in and said, you know, he, he called me and said, I'll let you know, "I'm quitting my job today." <laughs> and I'm thinking, but you just bought a townhouse. What are you doing? Because um, in my generation, you worked, you retired, you know, you were loyal, you were there at that company. And but his, his him being a millennial uh, and whatnot, his mindset is totally different. So the appreciation, making sure we engage and appreciate what each one brings to the table. Will help us understand. I may not be the butter, but I might somebody else would be the egg, somebody else will be the flour, but we all come together to make the perfect cake for that for that particular organization. So I think the key thing is appreciating there are different um, to be flexible in how we approach situations. No one is good at everything. And as Nick knows and and and, and I um as well uh, am a, a a consultant in disc knowing those different behaviors and seeing how they fit together. Cause when that's when conflict comes, when we don't know or don't even want to engage with someone to understand where they're coming from. My father used to say, bring me alongside of you so I can see what you're looking you know, see things from your point of view. And that's a key um, frustration. That's a key conflict in uh, America today, in, in our, in our organizations today. And I think that has lended a lot to the great resignation in different ways. One uh, with the conflict people just, you know, like I'm leaving a lot of, My nephew, uh, my nephews and my son said, I don't really see myself retiring from one company. I'm going to get what I need to get and go somewhere else and do this and build my own company and do what I need to do. But they don't see themselves like that. And if you're dealing with someone at work who is like who has the mentality that for my generation that we were kind of built upon, that you're here, you're loyal, you you are here for like 40 years or whatever how many years you're there. And someone who's like, you know, I'm here for like two or three years. and I'm out there's a big conflict there but you're not appreciating the differences so i think that we kind of have the same theme what we're saying but that is a big key of having all the generations together and it can be volatile but until we learn how to pull on the strength of that we're going to have conflicts in that and we'll still have those hurdles that we have to navigate
0: and you know Jacqueline, you are correct because i know for myself when i'm reviewing resumes and i look at a person's job history and this generation man 18 months is the max that's the average and they have moved on and i'm like but they keep changing jobs but i had to remind myself hey this is a different generation if they make it 2 years that is longevity for them yeah because they're always looking for other opportunities work life balance their priorities are totally different from ours in our generation you know like you said we stayed someplace we showed some long term time on a job and that's what we looked at. You can't evaluate employees on that now. You can't. It's a different measuring tool. And so you're absolutely right. So the takeaways we have right now thus far, and as I can say, these problems are some of our biggest challenges. There are many, but communication, the lack of communication, um, the lack of unity, the lack of appreciation and respect, the evaluation, you know, these are some major things And so as leaders here today at this roundtable, where should we start? You know, know, where should we start to try to get this thing together and engage employees? Because I see a lot of employees in the workplace are not engaged whatsoever. They're just punching the clock and marking time and that's it. And so where do we start as leaders with effectively engaging those that we lead? And so I'm going to start with you Lisa. One of the things
2: that I uh, really see in doing that is starting and realizing the importance of doing it. It's no magic pill to it, it's doing it. And one of the things that I, you know, tell the leaders, you know, all the time is there is no perfect time you have to engage first, let them know that the conversations are going to happen and that they're totally for them, you know, so what, and, and it's for you as well, but the whole thing is to get to the pulse of who they are. And here's another thing that I've been um, at showing leaders as well is that that pre COVID employee that you had is not the current employee today. The last 24 months have caused a major disruption in who the person you have been looking at for the past two years, and now the employers are saying, come back to work, come back to work. They're coming back to work, but please know that the person you're dealing with now is not that pre-COVID person. You must engage. It is necessary you cannot continue to go on each and every day with your team members and not check in to see who you are dealing with today what has changed what do they still trust you do they still believe in the mission of the agency what do they choose to do remember their lives have been disrupted as well we sent people home right we sent people home and they produced And now we're telling them to come back to work because we can no longer have them at home. But their whole life changed. The children were at home. They rearranged babysitting. They rearranged spouses and how a spouse, you know, schedule and how they did things, you know, cooking schedule. All of that changed. And then here we are now saying, come back to work. You know, we can't tell people to come back to work because it didn't work because all while they were off, we were telling them, great job. You're doing good. This working at home in this COVID environment has really worked. So now employees are distrusting of their leadership when they are now telling them, but you must come back. They say, why? It worked for two years. So the main thing here is realizing that the pre-COVID employee that you had, is not the COVID, not the employee that you have today, and you have to engage in order
0: to find out. And you know, it's interesting that you say that because even as leaders, we're not the leader that we were pre-COVID because we went through some changes as well. So we don't have enough empathy within ourselves to understand, okay, I had to readjust my lifestyle and how I did things, my leadership style, everything. To manage through this crisis, absolutely. So if I went through change, why can't I understand that the employee has gone through a change? Absolutely. How do we meet in the middle? You know, yeah. we all went through a change, and so how do we meet in the middle? So I thank you so much for sharing that, Lisa, with us. Nick, what are your wow. thoughts on it?
1: So I'm, I love what Lisa was saying because you're right. Everybody right now is different. There is, As soon as you left the, the, the office area and you started working from home, a lot of people may say, oh, I love working remote. Remote is great. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Yes, that's true. Because a lot of people, they've already said that the, the amount of stress has gone down. Uh, people are are doing their work more because of certain situations, right? what about those people with three or four kids what about the people who are homeschooling what about the people who uh have other things that's going on that's personal in their life we're looking at a whole spectrum of people who have oh everything is great because i don't have anyone at home to distract me unlike in the workplace but everybody can't say that but i will say that uh training training is one of the things that will truly help because when everybody when the pandemic happened you had a lot of people that said hey well let's do training remotely and when we did the training remotely a lot of people did what they cut off the camera Mm -hmm. a lot of people had other things going on they said i'll be back and while they were sitting in front of that computer they were doing something else they had half the screen on whatever the training was, and the other half doing work that they were supposed to get done because they didn't have the distractions. So, do we? How do we fix those different things? You know, um, I mean, there there are so many issues that are that are happening right now, but I really think that that training is one of the biggest ones. Just like, um, like I said, we're we're not the same. We're not the same. Some people thrive in having a um, in having a uh, environment where they can connect with people. And like I said, when we talk about disc, disc is about having the relationship and being able to connect with other people. And if you are able if you have that person who is, let's say, an I, they're an influencer or that person who is a a S, a steadiness person. Then they they thrive in in having people around them and one getting the reinforcement, getting the appreciation, getting the praise, uh, being able to talk and and get those ideas to manifest. And you have those other people who are, let's say, a D, they're dominant. They want to be out there leading, they want to be back in the in the workplace saying, Hey, I want this team, I want to engage with them, even though I'm outgoing, I'm task oriented, but hey. Don't count that against me. I just want to accomplish the goal. And a lot of people don't want to do that over the computers. So I think, yeah, we we do have to find a common medium. We have to find it some kind of way. But it comes down to leaders understanding and connecting with their people.
5: Mm
0: -hmm. It also comes to us as leaders understanding who we are.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, fully understanding who we are. And if we need to kind of adapt our style to, you know, effectively lead those that we're leading, and there comes times we have to do that. You know, I, I can never forget one day I, I had a group of young millennial nurses and I'm leading and they just couldn't seem to get it together. And I'm like, I'll come home frustrated every day. And I'm like, you know, why can't they just come to work, shut up, do <laughs> what they're supposed to do. Take care of the patients, go home and be done. No, it was just always some type of chaos, some type of discourse. And I thought about it one day, I said, you know what? You are leading what you have raised in your house. The only difference is he does not have a nursing degree, but he's in that same generation gap that in. So guess what? When you're telling him things and you're giving him instruction, he doesn't get it, they don't either. So you've got to adapt and meet them where they are and when i made that realization within myself the dynamic changed. and so i think it's going to take us all as leaders to kind of okay look at ourselves do a self-assessment you know what do i need to change how do i meet those that i lead where they are so that we can bind together and move in the same direction so thank you so much nick for sharing that jacqueline what are your thoughts
4: uses the words right out of my mouth about being agile and how we uh, interact with people and like you just said I mean that has to be four about the different generations I can't talk if you have more than one child I think um I can't forget his name he was on a few minutes ago he said he oh, had wow. five kids his wife had five kids <laughs> so uh he can't talk to each one of those children the same no. so just something that simple because even though they're in the same generation they're going to receive things differently and being a manager and having those persons who are matrix man, a matrix manage, and direct manage, I have to remember, oh, I'm talking to X right now versus Y. Some people need a little more prodding. And, and I work totally 100% remotely. My job was always remotely, but I've historically, most of my career, over half of my career, have been in the office. And I'm a very high D, Nick. <laughs> and so I, um, those things that uh, I think we have to learn how to navigate. Because more people are remote now, like Lisa said, they sent people home, and they're like, "You come back," and people are like, "I'm not going back." Well, they need that. They, they need that talent. So they, so some workplaces have become more flexible and how they adjust that. Some of them have not or haven't been able to. Um, but I think we need to just really kind of step back and do an assessment. And I think you said it, Constance, as well. We have to realize who we are now too. Because I definitely am not the same leader I was exactly. before the pandemic. I'm not the same leader I was a year ago before going through breast cancer. So I'm not the same person. And so you look at things differently. And as you said, if you look at things differently, then appreciate those things that people look at differently. And then the other thing is just ask the question. I'm a very direct person. So just ask the question, what will it do? What do you need to be able to be? Uh, do you see yourself in this organization XYZ years or whatever? What is it that you need? What aren't you getting? Because I think in one, you know we, talk, we hear a lot about quiet quitting. A lot of people have quiet quit. And I think a lot of times people don't understand also the remote piece historically um, employers have looked at working remotely as you're off in the grocery store or you're at the spa or somewhere else and when you're really working and you work more really, or I'm more productive remote because you don't have the distractions. You don't have all those issues that are coming at you. Um, and because when, you know, I get up early in the morning, I'm online and I look up and I'm like, Oh, sorry, it's it's six o'clock. I've worked over quote unquote my eight hours. Yes. So mm-hmm. you get a lot. So I think it's that understanding one just having the conversation. And as Lisa said, just start. Where do we start? Let's just look at it and unpack it and look at where our rate limiters are. Can we do this? Can we not do this? Just something that's even reasonable. Is it something that's actually realistic? And do those things and just make the changes and realize it's going to help your corp- your corporation, your organization overall. And maybe some uh you know growing pains over the time, but
0: growth is painful. Wow. Wow. Rodney, what are your thoughts on it?
3: Uh, so I just, first of all I do want to say she uh, you're absolutely right my wife does have a lot of kids I don't know what she, anyway uh, but um, it's something I learned from her that I share in when I do these trainings right I share something from my wife with these leaders and that's this right here I saw my wife comes from a background constant she was very rigid about protocol right. It's time to go to bed. Time to wake up. You do this in this order. You know, very much a C on that kind of disc profile, and um, well, that's that wasn't my background, right? I'm like, let them stay up, let them go, to... and so that was a constant kind of pull, right? Push and pull, and then one day. She started engaging with a group of ladies, and they started traveling, and they were doing different things. And they was watching; they would have Thursday night shows. Watching, I forgot what shows came on Thursday night. They was watching some Viola Davis. Oh, the
0: Have and the Have Nots.
3: All, all of that, all of that. Like getting away with murder and just all, whatever. But mm-hmm. scandal, I don't know, whatever. This was some years ago. But Nick, what I learned from her is as she started stretching out and relaxing and enjoying those aspects of herself, it influenced her mothering, it influenced her parenting. A parent is a type of leader, a choir director is a type of leader, a teacher is a type of leader. So if the core is leadership, right, what's the lesson? As I allow myself these experiences, the self-care, the mental wellness, right? But see, that's tough for a lot of us because there's a protocol, there's a checklist to get through, right? There's things that we got to do. If we can begin, if we want to have lasting impact with our teams or the people that we lead, it starts with the self. It starts with allowing me to have those things that I want to see come up out of them. I learned that from her. I share that all over the place. And it's something that I believe will help us in this space as leaders connect with the people that we're trying to lead in our different environments.
0: Wow. Wow. And I'm going to say, listening to what you said about how that changed her perspective and how that changed her, I know for myself, now that I'm working remote more and not traveling as much, because, you know, I love the excitement of running through the airport, you know, in Atlanta every Monday. I, I love that. I just get a high on that. Love it. But now that I'm home and working more remote, it's the ambiance of the work environment. You know, I get tired of being in the same place. So what I do is I promise myself one week each month, I go someplace to a different location and stay that week and work remotely. One week I went to the Smoky Mountains and worked. It was just a whole different level of productivity and effectiveness. Because why? Self-care. I went fishing. I went to the spa. I relaxed. I enjoyed the mountains and the scenery. Ambience. And so as a leader, sometimes we have to look at the ambience of our work environment and assess whether it's conducive for what we're trying to do. So thank you for sharing that point. Doreen, what are your thoughts on it?
5: I believe for me, it goes back to something very simple. I, I'm, I'm very simplistic. It goes back to being willing. We're talking a lot about leadership. We're talking a lot of from the employer's point of view, and basically what we're doing is we are imagining uh, this willing vessel. But to be honest with you, and just let's cut to the chase, most leaders are not willing, and this is why we have the chaos that we do. Um, and I'm going to come from what I know, okay, what I worked in the trenches, um, you know, not on public stage, not in that caliber but from working 19 years in the trenches and over we are talking about all of this training i know for a fact we had to go i worked in multiple school districts we would go through all of these different training. okay we're having training everybody's decided oh we're doing training everybody's decided okay the new training comes one day There's no implement it. It's not implemented. There's no implementation. But we was just we just went through this training that was supposed to be district training. Where is the implement? Where was the implementation of it? Where was the execution of it? And it just depended on who your leader was, who your principal was. Now, I worked for a very high performing principal. She was assigned there by the state. So her willingness, her drive, her motivation was different versus some another principal that had a lax attitude or a different type of leadership. But it depends on whether or not the leader is coming from a willing perspective. Now, that's what I experienced. The school, when I first came to this particular county, there was a waiting list hear me good. And this is no exaggeration. There was a waiting list to be expelled. There was a waiting list to go in ISS, which is in school suspicion. There was a waiting list to be on detention because we would not have people to have duty to monitor the the detention. So as I said, this particular school was under the jurisdiction of the state. So all of this work that this particular principal did and we worked alongside her that time, she was literally yanked out. She was, It was like when, she, when they saw that she was doing too good, they yanked her out. And this particular county is known for that. They're constantly switching principals, teachers. No, you stay here three months. You go over here three months. You go over here a year. And it's time you're making traction And the time you're putting in all this effort and all of this training it's just cut short and to be honest with you it's madness because you have people like me i was sent there by the holy ghost i don't i didn't even want to be a part of anything school system in 1996 i was called into it god called me and so therefore i was sent into this ministry which is marketplace ministry and so, for someone like me with a genuine heart and a willingness to go and share, connect, grow, and build, that was very frustrating because it made you feel like you were spinning wheels. So, what I'm saying is, it really is up to that individual leader. We, as the roundtable, can go train, and many of you go to multiple stages and do all of this training, and all of that is good and fine. But when the rubber meets the road, You need to find out in your assessment before you do anything, is this individual going to be willing? What is the heart of this person? And to be straight with you, coming from a born again perspective, because I am a keen entrepreneur, we need to unlock what's inside us and depend and rely on the Holy Spirit going out into the marketplace to allow God to reveal the true heart behind someone. Because everybody is not sent by God. I know it's tight. But it's right. And I come to tell the truth. Everyone in these particular leaderships are not there to uplift. Some people are assigned to oppress. Okay. So we, we, if we are in these, on these stages, and if we are opening, if God has opened you these doors to go to these fortune 500 companies and to be on stages, the way you are, what I'm hearing tonight, I charge you to go with the eyes of the Holy spirit, because if that person is not willing to decrease so that the people that they're called to serve increase and therefore the company and all of the community and all of the things we're talking about increase, you are wasting your time. That's my perspective. And I know it's tight, but i got it's to right. say the truth. It's, it's right. right. I know what I'm talking about. I lived it. This I, I was, I'm was. i not on stage to do this. This is not what I'm called to do. I'm a certified business coach, the Confident Christian Women Coaches. But I know what I experienced. I know what I saw. My husband has been in manufacturing for 40 years. I don't know what PepsiCo is going to do now that he's retired. I don't know what, he's, what they're going to do. They can't even find no one to run the filler. When this man had the filler memorized in his mind what are they going to do when you drink that Pepsi Cola next time think about the laborers of the people that are producing that product what hardship they're going through the oppression that they're going through because of wrong leadership everyone in leadership does not ha- should not be in leadership and this is why what i'm saying today is we have to come with a kingdom mind we are assigned to go. If God has allowed you to go into all of these realms that you're able to go, go with the eyes of the Holy Spirit, because everybody is in that organization is not sent to uplift it. Let's be honest. Some people are sent to cause its demise.
0: Wow, Doreen. And, I, you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about some things that I have experienced over the past 35 years and thinking about some people in leadership that I have encountered. And you're right. Some of them have had no business being in a leadership role because they were not prepared, one, mentally or spiritually. They were not. Um, Some of them were not prepared educationally. They had some warped ideas and conceptions about how life really should be. And they just weren't fair individuals. And so they came into the workplace and they just caused all this chaos and all this corruption and the workplace is just tore up from the floor. up. Yes, And that means your productivity is out of the window. Out of the and window. So I'm going to chime in. Pastor Cockfield, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to chime in on, with you in a minute, get your thoughts on the workplace and the different challenges and employee engagement. And so some things we identified early on, Nick kicked it off with communication. The lack of effective communication. And then with the training, you know, we went through this, all this training blitz, but is the training effective? How do we know it's effective? People are at home training virtually, cameras off, and they're working on other stuff. So, how do we know that the training that we're providing is providing them with the necessary tools that they need to develop and to progress? So, we looked at lack of employee engagement. Uh, Ineffective communication, ineffective training, okay? And as Doreen just put the big twist on it, the lack of the spirituality that is needed to be a fair and effective leader. So, Pastor Cockfield, with you hearing that, what are your thoughts as far as the biggest challenges in the workplace for leadership today?
6: Well, let me give a little quick brief synopsis about myself and what i do so i'm working for the Department of veteran affairs um i run their lean six uh program bay and agile safe and some other stuff and um so one of the things that i've encountered with leadership is they're very task oriented and they spend more on tasks than they do process innovation um looking at steps and measures so in lean six we have something called going to the gimbal that's going to the place where things are going going on. And so uh, I was teaching a class just recently about um, uh, how that now we're in a virtual environment. And <clears throat> the challenge that a lot of leaders are having is making that shift from brick and mortar to this virtual environment. And so I'm now trying to get these guys to understand, you still can go to the but You still can meet people where they are. And, <clears throat> and it's really about understanding the processes and teaching people to be teams versus this, this vertical aspect of everything goes up, you waiting for an answer to come down for things to get done. No, it puts pressure on those that <clears throat> work with you as a leader. Um, <clears throat> so I challenge the leaders now, I said, how about a, a horizontal approach and have people work in teams and have team leads and I'm teaching them now, I got a course now, What what is the team lead? I, I told them, you're not in charge, but really what happens is when we need this intellectual property to show up this problem solve or, or we need your your expertise on something that leadership shifts and it forces everybody that's working together to really step up and it, and it allows a leader to know who he or she is, is what they're doing what they're capable of doing and um i'm even challenging them when they're meeting with senior leadership bring the team with them don't try to um uh, just because you're in charge to show up yourself so this I'm gonna go to this next piece is process innovation and, and these steps and measures that people do on a daily basis. How, how do you teach people to be accountable for not the product you produce, but really talk about the quality unto which you're producing this product? I, and, and what innovation are you bringing to the table instead of again, just showing them to work and doing the same stuff, different day. And I think in leadership, <clears throat> we gotta really just, again, go down to the ground, even if we're virtual. I challenged the leader just recently. Instead of you having these these staff meetings where everybody is present, how many times or how often do you just uh, in in MS teams call up folks and have them one-on-one with them and just ask them, what are they doing? Why are they doing what they do? How they do what they do? Where are you doing it? Do you even know who the customer is? Do you even understand um, what, what what is the needs of the organization as a whole? And I'm going to throw this last piece out. Uh, We have a new employee orientation that I created. And one of the things I challenged the CEO and and the C-suite folks, I said, hey, how about for one day you teach new people about the whole organization as a whole, about the tools, technology, and the manpower? And about where is this organization going? How do these new employees fit within the organization? And um, we use a balanced scorecard. so. I had to have senior leadership explain, what's a balanced scorecard? Where, what are the tenets or, or, or how are we structured? What does that mean to people? So now people start out the gate understanding the importance of what they do and why they're doing it, where they're doing it, how they're doing it, that type of stuff, and why their processes are so important. So um, I'm kind of more of the belief, yes, there are folks that are there that don't want to be there or want to challenge <clears throat> the organization as a whole, but I would rather spend more time on the nine that want to be here instead of that one that don't want to get it right. And, and allow um, this the again force folks to be thinkers, innovative, process innovation. I don't I don't care just because you can produce something that in producing that, I don't want a stale product. I want that intellectual property, that mindset that says, hey, we can do it better. Challenge them to make things better every day.
5: And then have a reward system, Pastor Cartfield. When they give Mm -hmm. you their value, they should be rewarded for the value, not dismissed for the value or overlooked for the value. And then what I'm hearing with your particular um, environment is that there needs to be people on the floor. We should, no one should be sitting waiting for somebody to come to me. So when I was at Purdue, we went out on the floor. My supervisor went out on the floor. He was always on the floor when I would get his calls. Literally, I'm saying he's on the floor. But then I knew what as his executive assistant, what was going on? So I was able to keep the, everyone in the loop. So in that type of environment, you should be walking the floor. You should be corresponding. They did this at Stanley too. When I did my walkthrough with them, everybody was on the floor. So that way you're hands-on, you're interactive, it's real-world application. And what I'm also hearing is that there should be an ongoing orientation. There should be an ongoing communication meeting. There should be ongoing. When people come in, I know you're giving them a mass amount of information at one time, But what I'm hearing is orientation should be ongoing. It should be evolving because things are always changing. So when you was breaking down those different gamuts and those different components of your organization, what I literally heard was, okay, we need to get small groups of orientation where the big wigs, the C suites, the CEO actually interact with these people and let them understand the A, B's, and C's ins and out because that makes them feel part of the community. It makes them feel invested in and then it makes them think about leaving. So that's kind of like what I heard uh Constance, I hope that was okay to just
0: oh, yes, that's uh, interject there. That's fine. You know, and I want to get back to your earlier response about is the person willing? or, yes, you know, man. looking at things from a spiritual eye. And my thoughts are the heart of a
5: leader. A leader. Is yes. that the person's heart right? Is their heart right? Leadership, yes. to do. Thank you, Constance. I'm glad you picked that yes, up in the that spirit i Now, listen to what you yes. said.
0: and it stuck with me. Yes, the ma'am. heart of heart. a leader. Heart. Is their heart in the right place? You know, and we can't teach people to be cared, to care. You know, that's something that's instilled within you. Either you are of a caring nature or you're not. You know, either you have integrity or you don't. You know, we can't, you know, we can do things with our children to raise them to have those things and instill those qualities in them. But when somebody, as my grandmother said, you can't raise somebody already grown. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so I want to get some final thoughts um, and get ready to close this out. And so, Lisa, do you have any final thoughts for our roundtable today? The discussion has been great. We've come up with a lot of ideas, and of course, we can't fix everything today. We may think we can, but we cannot. I know, right? We definitely can't. But one of the things that we definitely
2: have to again stay mindful of is who we're dealing with today. And I totally, um, you know, teach you know leaders too about transforming and humanizing that employment experience, head, hands, and heart. At the end of the day people do not care how much you know until they do know how much you care but the only way you're going to show that is if you spend that one-on-one time with them in doing that one of the things that uh, maya angelo said and i uh, wrote this down as a quote she said each of us have the power has the power and the responsibility to become a rainbow in the clouds dr maya angelo there is so much that is going on right now. And I, I do a lot of research and on stati- with statistics and what have you. And I'm um, just seeing, you know, what are some of the biggest stressors right now in the job? And right now, you know, the biggest stress stressors. Okay. We talk about a lot of DEI, you know, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, but it's so deep, much deeper than that it goes beyond, you know, sexuality, personality and, and all of that. But it's difference of opinion in thought. You know, if somebody comes to me and can they safely descend with me and not agree with me and I'd be okay with that, am I creating psychological safety for my team members? Do they feel safe enough to really say what's on their minds, even if they don't agree with me in the direction that I'm going? Absolutely. I can say that for me. Absolutely. I can say that for a few people, but psychological safety is missing a lot in the workplace. But here's some of the things that the American Psychological Association has said that is a stressor for the people ages 18 through 57. The number one stressor for people is money right now the number one stressor, they broke this um, study down by money, economy, and housing. And money was the number one for people 18, listen, 18 through 57. So that was the number one stressor. Number two was um, house, um, economy and then housing. But then it gets even deeper. We have to be uh, mindful of our, uh, you know, bipod, you know, you know, black indigenous people of color. Also, um, you know, other ethnicities where Latino Americans have a different um, stressor as it relates to these issues. Black adults have it, white adults have it, Asian adults have it. If we are not educated in the things that are really stressing people based on, you know, empirical research and study, but most importantly, based on having that one-on-one conversation with the person, I'm not going to generalize an issue that is going on with Nick. If Nick is sitting here telling me that this is what's going on with him, because the one thing I'm going to ask Nick, then how then do you need me to support you as your leader? How then do I show up for you? Okay. Because this doesn't mean that I show up the same way for the next person, no different than how we do our children, but Nick needs me in this way. So Nick, how then do I support you? And then I write that down and then we check in as much as Nick needs me to check in. So there, that's those are just the lasting thoughts I want to leave. Of course, there's so much. Okay, I took pay, pages of notes on this because it's just really so important. And here's another thing I would tell people: if you're having a struggle with how to have those conversations, have a regular state interview with each of your team members. You'll ask them questions like, What is top of mind right now for you? And it's strictly based on them. It has nothing to do with work. Okay. What is top of mind right now for you? Okay. What are the things right now that are on your mind that makes you, you know, either jump out of bed in the morning in excitement, or you can't sleep at night? What are some of those things that are, um, you know, like that top of mind for you? What makes you report here daily? Okay. What is it beside the money? Okay. And if you were in my position, what would you do differently? How would things look? Seriously, you know, what can we do differently? And if you were in top senior leadership, what would you do differently? And how would this place look? And then never make a promise to your team members that you can't keep. But here's the thing. Those things that you know that you can change, make those changes so that they will continue to build trust with you and build psychological safety for each of them. That's
0: Lisa Jones. All right, Lisa. All right. (laughs) It was tight. I and it was right. right. You don't really say. It. Yes, indeed, it was tight. Right. Okay. So, Nick, any final thoughts?
1: So, you know what? I can't even, I can't even come behind that, Lisa. <laughs> that, that right there was amazing. All right. Um, with everybody on the panel, and I know the pastor got in a little bit late, and but there were some things that he said that really caught my attention. Uh, accountability was one. And I think that we really need to start holding people accountable, even from the bottom up. I think there are a lot of people who are scared to hold their leadership accountable for fear of retaliation. Um, You have so many people there in the workplace who are trying to do the things that that they know that are right. But if I say something, I'm gonna get fired. If I speak out, how would they look at me? If I do this, then I'm going to get ridiculed. So there are so many different things. And and one of the things that one of the notes that I took was uh, fear, because a lot of people live in fear. And just like Lisa was saying, right now, people are, are money is one of the biggest things that's, that's on people's minds. And if I'm fearful in the workplace, And my leadership is not doing anything about it. They're not making it to where I can come and talk to them. I can speak out. I can say uh, things that are on my mind. I can give my opinions. I can give my thoughts. Then now I'm living in a world of fear because I have to support my family. So what are leaders doing in order to help that? All right. Now, do we have that spiritual uh, well-being in the workplace to where people know what's right. People are going to do right by you. Are they going to make it a place where, hey, come and say whatever it is that's on your mind, and let's talk about that. Let's have a a back and forth. Let's have this conversation. Uh, So, My I have a laundry list of things, you know, especially from what everybody has said, because there has been so much, so much great information. Uh, And I will go through uh, communication. Communication is is going to be one of those things that bridges the gap. And what is one thing that one thing that we have in, in all of these organizations, especially the big corporations, generational differences? And when you have those generational gaps, how do you connect with each person? I supervised uh, up to 40 people at one time to where I had people from the age of 18 all the way up to 65. I had to know how to talk to each person and understand that that each person is different. Each person has a different mind state. What was important to the older generation was I need to do my job. I need to be good at my job. I need to be proficient at my job. Security. This younger generation, they said, what time am I getting off? I need my time. I want to, even if it's just going to my room, playing video games, I want my time. But those were the things that was important to them, right? Um, Training, you have to make sure that people are getting trained. The leadership has to set the example. They have to lead by example. If a leader says, we're going to have this training, that leader also needs to be inside of that training so they know that their people are getting the training that they need, even if it's remote. They need to be on the screen, giving their input, making sure that their people are engaged. So whether it's in in person or remote, that leader needs to be engaged in that training and they know exactly what their people are getting. And after that, that's where we go back to the accountability. Am I asking the right questions? Am I checking up on them? Am I having a one-to-ones? Am I uh, calling this person? Am I sending an email to make sure that that training was effective? Am I having a, a business coach come in and say, hey, can you do an assessment on my organization to ensure that my people are living up to the expectations that I have of them? And also Praise. We have to give people that praise. We have to give them that that appreciation because if I'm coming to work and even that that is even in your home, if I walk through my house every single day and I'm doing something for my wife, for my kids, for my husband, whatever the case may be, every single day and nobody says anything, I'm quiet quitting in my relationship. I'm just going through the motions Mm -hmm. and I'm doing just what I need to do in order to survive. Wow. That's all I have.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, I heard you say about fear. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, you know, that's from both sides of the fence because I'm dealing with some leaders that are operating out of fear. It's not a fear of retaliation. It's a fear of rejection. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: They're so afraid that they're going to be disliked because they're doing the right thing and making the right decision. When I keep telling them, when you're doing the right thing, And you're holding people accountable and you're making the right decisions. There's that trust. Okay. There's that trust. We don't come to work and get paid to be liked. Mm -hmm. I I know I never have, you know, I am held to a standard that I need to hold people accountable to make things happen. And so if I'm going to act out of fear, because I'm afraid of how they're going to feel about me after I make that decision, or they may feel a certain kind of way shame on me as a leader. That means I'm ineffective and I need to move out of the way and let someone who can be effective come in and do that. And so there's that fear of rejection. How well do you handle rejection? The question I have on the table. How well do you handle it? A lot of people cannot handle rejection. they just can't. You know, somebody tells them no, you know, what? and man, they just fall to pieces. We have leadership. And as you know, we've all said tonight about the diverse generations in the workplace. People are cut from different grains of cloth. Mm-hmm. And some can handle certain things and some cannot. And you mentioned praise. You know, the millennials, they came up in that trophy phase where the, the losers got a trophy. <laughs> and the winner did, too. First time I saw that, my son played t-ball. And his team won. They got the big trophy. Then they had these little big trophies for the losers. I'm like, what is that? Oh, everybody <laughs> You're right. Like, Open. You get a trophy. and You get a trophy. I'm like, no, that was oh, something yeah. else. They shouldn't get anything. You know, when we came up, okay, we'll try again next year. You, you didn't get anything. <laughs> try again. You know, great job. You try again next year. That's it. You didn't get a trophy. So again, so that has been instilled in that generation, and we have to use those same tactics in the workplace. Praise. Yes. You know. Yeah. it's
4: praising I'm sorry because it's praising in the moment not waiting to like review exactly. time but back in you know back in January you did this but mm-hmm. praise them in the moment and making sure they understand that you know you did this is what your your expectations for your job, but you went above and beyond. and sometimes that's all people need because I think someone mentioned about knowing what their motivators are. everybody's not motivated by money. Mm-hmm. people need to have meaningful work people need to have like the be a flexible environment. so just understanding that. And just taking that time to understand people are coming from
0: yeah you said praise at the moment i had to chuckle because you know if you don't praise that person right then and you wait two weeks later they may be forgot what you're talking about and i remember when we were children we would do things that we didn't have any business doing and my grandfather would say one word he just, just is quiet he wait three weeks later and catch us standing around the fireplace. Now you remember the other day when I told you to do so and so, so and so. He just started wailing us. I'm like, "What did I do? We forgot. We forgot. Yeah. Oh my
3: gosh!" <laughs> Meanwhile, he didn't. He done thought about it. Hell, doing to it for yeah. two
0: weeks. And we know we forgotten about it, thought we gotten away with it. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> they may not remember your name later, but they definitely remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have to praise in the moment. We have to phrase in the moment. Doreen, any final words?
5: Yes, um, I just want to charge you that are here on the panel that are called to this area uh, to walk in leadership and to go on the stages and to go into these corporations training. Just go with the eye of the spirit um, because we can't lean to our own understanding Uh, The Holy Spirit is here to help us with discernment, to be able to discern the true heart of the person that you're training. And let's go back to what Pastor uh, Cockfield said. You know, we want to understand that if we have nine that's willing, let's focus on the nine. You know, let's you know, uh, Jesus Christ was the ultimate businessman. He said, are you willing? He even asked that question. That was an assessment, okay? That was an assessment. He's the ultimate businessman. He's the ultimate leader. And we can learn so much from him. That's John C. Maxwell all day long. You all are certified John C. Maxwell uh, consultants and speakers and and coaches. I don't have to tell you what he's taught you, but that's him all day long. So what we have to understand is we didn't just go into the worldwide marketplace. We've been sent and there is a difference. And there's a different mantle on our life. There's a different accountability on our life and we are responsible for looking through the eyes of the spirit with all the knowledge that you have, with all of these different things that we have, that's all good and fine. But at the end of the day, I'd rather go armed with the Holy Ghost any day. I'd rather go armed with the Holy Ghost because he is the teacher of all things and he will reveal those things that you do not know of. Um, And then you'll be able to identify those leaders that have a heart for leadership and it's often those people that don't seek after money like my daughter she's almost 30 years old she could care less about the money what she wants is i've worked my behind off and you still argue with me about tea really i come in and stay late and open for you and close for you and you're going to argue with me because i forgot to put the lid on the tea really and bye bye so these are the things that even the Manilial generation and all of these other generations that you spoke about are looking for. Don't assume that they're looking for the money. Don't assume that they um, are not hard workers. Don't assume that they're gonna be on their phone uh, eight hours and not even show up. My daughter has been working since she was 12. I taught her how to work because I worked at 13. So I trained her that you gonna work I took it to my uh, friend who still owns her own beauty parlor and she began to work. So she has a strong work ethic. And so those things that I instilled in her of wanting to be valued and wanting to be appreciated for the work that she does um, is in her. So just because we have these different generational gaps, let's not assume that everyone is the same. I think that was mentioned, taking the time to know the individual. And I will say this in closing, uh, one of the particular jobs that she had as a uh, as a prison worker, she actually became um, was promoted because of her work effort all the way to lieutenant. My daughter is maybe 130 pounds and she's short like me, but they put her over 1,200, let me say this again, 1,200 inmates. One person, because of her leadership, because of her work ethic, they're still calling her and asking her to come back. So let's not assume that this generation is a a cookie cutter of everything that we see. There are some, as my daughter in and my older daughter, she's the same way. She she worked, she's been working ever since she was in high school and beyond. That they still want that appreciation. They are willing to work the long hours. They're willing to show up. They have a care of excellence. My girls have a care of excellence. But you're going to come at me because I did one thing and you're going to come and curse at me because I did really you're going to come and curse at me. One gentleman decided to curse at my daughter and I'm like almost in the car, ready to go handle it. And that would have not been good (laughs) because he cursed her in front of uh, multitudes of people yes this actually happened so my daughter said no ma don't go my husband was like please don't go because everybody was restraining me but this stuff is real and when we're talking about leadership i just want to charge you that you're on the front lines. you go with the eyes of the holy ghost i just hear the holy spirit saying that and that's what i've been commissioned to say tonight thank
0: you thank you so much doreen rodney any final thoughts
3: Absolutely. Real quick, the higher up we go in our organization, and Doreen, it's so funny that you was saying that because that was going to be my tidbit, and then you just gave me a nice little t-ball setup. I appreciate it. So like her daughter, right, the higher we go up in our organizations, whatever type of organization it is, it's less about doing the work or the task, and it becomes more and more about taking care of the people to empower them to do the task, right? And so- our efficacy at those levels is much is measured based on how happy are our folks. Are they showing up? Are they productive? You know, what's what's the workplace morale or the or how does the organization, the church feel? Like whatever it is, the body that we're taking care of. And so, as leaders, just remembering that you can do a hundred things, but we didn't hire you for this role to be a worker bee. We hired you to take care of the people so that they can do. The task that, that undergirds the organization. And that's just always kind of been like a good tidbit to kind of be reminded of every now.
0: I think we need to take that's this ground
5: on the road. I like what he said uh, because yeah. said, that was mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. yeah. Not we a worker bee, but actually taking care of the people. Now that's another discussion. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. We I have like that. several sidebar discussions <laughs> that came up tonight you know,
0: several sidebar discussions that that we
3: had,
0: you know, and that's why I said we need to take this on the road because we really need to get out there in the trenches and see what we can do. Yeah, you got
5: to learn something different in the trenches. I mean, that's the perspective I've come from. I'm not, you know, like you gurus on the stage and exposed, but I've learned a lot over, I've been working since I was 13. I started you know, um, cleaning houses in Charleston, South Carolina. I've been, I've never been not without a job because I like to eat. (laughs) So I'm not always been working, but I've learned a lot. And when you're in the trenches and when you're seeing the day-to-day stuff, it's different from, it's a different perspective. And my husband, like I said, he's been working for 40 years. I don't know what, I don't know what these employers are going to do without men like him um, that have the integrity and, 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 took the oppression and took the depression and took the devaluing to supply the needs of their family. I, I don't know, because this generation is not going to do it. They're just not. They're just not going to do it. And that's why we have the Great Recession.
0: You know, and I think Jacqueline was saying it earlier, her son said, oh, I quit my job, but he just bought a condo. <laughs> that's just their mindset. You know, my yeah, son, they, you do know, I don't like that job. OK, but uh, hello, you like to eat, don't you? You need to eat.
4: And the thing about him is he quit it in the sense of he, because my father used to always say he had something, he'd say, what's your plan? And that was my thing. I said, well, what's your plan? I'm like, "I'm not my dad. But um, he said, I have a plan, Mom, I'm good. So he already had a plan. He didn't go on one day and just say, I quit. He had a plan. He knew he had to have some, he may have some bumps on the road, but he never missed the beat because he had a plan. That had been instilled in him. So I think the method of whether I take, I'm in North Carolina, whether I take 85 or a back road to Charlotte, as, long as I get to the destination I need to be at, I have to appreciate someone wants to go the scenic route, and I might want to go the faster route, or vice versa. So that's one thing that um, he did, and his big question was, it made me think as well. Um, I know we got to round up, but his big question was, do I go to a job every day that I hate? And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, <but> yeah, <laughs> it's bills. It but um, but that's the thing that he helped me. His his courage, as in his risk taking as a leader, helped me to really reassess my leadership skills and to reassess my leadership approach so i had to navigate and be agile with how i approached how he decided to live his life because i can't live it for him <laughs> you know so those are things i think that you know the the most the most um stable part of a pyramid is the bottom and as Rodney was saying when the closer you get to the top you your focus is supposed to flip it's a 180 degree leadership focus, right, Nick? And so um, your focus should be shifting. And I think that a lot of times, especially now with budget crunches and things like that, a lot of uh, training is done in the C suite and above, and the people at the base of the pyramid, so to speak, are left without. They're just like, go to this, go, and they don't have the true understanding or what's been instilled in them. So making training and and uh, development. Fit for purpose, for those people, for everybody in the organization, and not just in certain elements, will make your pyramid, your organization more stable. So, I'll wow, be fine. wow.
0: Well, you know, your son had a plan, mine did not, <laughs>
5: mine, mine don't either. Because if, if they ain't happen, they leave. I don't know what kind of plan yeah, he's he, got. <laughs> She ain't going to stand there and let you do. curse her now. That's yeah. not happening. Yeah. I'll <laughs> I do what I have her. to do. I'm like, okay. So uh, I yeah. told her, come home. If I got to feed you, you will eat. That man is not going to sit, stand there and curse you. That's not happening. Not on my watch. <laughs> That's not happening.
0: <laughs> Mama Bear don't read his
5: book.
0: Yes, indeed. Pastor Cotfield, first thoughts.
6: Well, <clears throat> one of the things that... um I'm really pushing, and I, I, th- I talked to you about this earlier. Uh, let's talk education. And when we train folks, we have this 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 idea that if they're an adult, you got to have this andragogical or this adult-like approach to training. And it's pedagogical and andragogical. It's childlike and adult-like, and you have to have a mix of that. And that's one. So um, I push that a lot. You know, and that takes taking time with folks as you're training them to get to know and understand. How they learn, and so um, currently, what I'm doing right now, to be i I'm not pushing courses five days straight. Uh, that's crazy. So what I did, I went to the senior leadership and say, "Hey, that's nuts. They're not, they're not getting thing out of anything out of this. I'd rather break it up in half days, or or do, you know, the five days spread the five days out in the month. Teach what I'm gonna teach, come back, and let's have a discussion about what was, what did you learn? Like, what's the practical application to this stuff?" And 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 I myself get critiqued on how I can do this better next time to get get this 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 learning material out. So they they lead with something. So that's number one. Um, there's something called an EFQM um, uh, excellence model, and I'm throwing this out here because I'm challenging leadership with this. So it's a framework that develops sustainability of excellence, and what that simply means is is that now I'm trying to get these guys to understand leaders when. They, in in our in our lean six world, some call the demand cycle. It, we define the problem, we measure where you are, and then there's gonna be a gap, or if there isn't a gap, great. Um, but we're gonna analyze where we are and we're gonna improve the processes and we're gonna control, keep we everything we do then becomes better, we have to sustain it. But the reason why I'm throwing this out of this 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 EFQM model is this. I'm challenging leaders, why aren't we doing this in every process cycle that we have everything we do there's a cyclic moment of, of producing products we need to go back and we need to coach mentor, and train with this attitude that says hey i i want you to be able to tell me or define what were you supposed to be doing or even during that process that the things i've asked them to do i got to go back and ask them can you define to me what is the original mandate card or what are we supposed to be doing in the first place Leadership doesn't do that enough. They wait until you tell them to do something and then they're off to the races and then there's no communication. And then they're, they're left to themselves to do what they want to do. And then you want to say something after they jack it up. No, they, again, you, you should be part of that team and that process going along the whole time. That builds confidence, trust, and it also allows these individuals to feel like they're, they're, they're learning something And it builds the relationship between the leader and the individual that's working side by side with them. And one last thing, language is a killer. I'm I'm, I'm trying to get leaders to stop going around and act like that you're above and beyond everybody else. And the way you talk to folks, it speaks volumes. So I'm now getting leaders to understand, flatten that, flatten that, that, that those folks that work with you and build teams. And then guess what? You become a part of the team. Um, I, I told Constance I got some guys work for me. They tried to come after me left and right because they felt like you're the boss. And and then I deflated their balloon right out the gate because I had to explain to them I'm not the smartest guy in the room. It's all about customer service, customer satisfaction. We got to know um, really who's who's investing in this. Who 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 are the folks we're supposed to be responsible to? And at the end of the day, they don't care. They just want it done. They want it done right, and they want a repeatability and, and consistency. They want those customers to come back, so I teach the guys that I work with. I always tell them, "I'm not the smartest guy in the room." Matter of fact, I learn from them every day, and and we've learned become partners in getting things done, so that so so now the organization is happy. I don't have to answer every question to the organization or the senior leadership. No, we answer it as a team, and and that's we get more respect that way with each other, and with the leadership. So I just want to throw it out there. Um, in, in, that excellency can be, you can get it, but it's ongoing daily. got to have that connection with the folks that you work working with and your customers and stakeholders and everybody else.
0: Thank you so much. I want to thank each of you for your insight, your input, and like I said, this is a discussion that needs to continue. So I charge each of you, if I reach out to you again, let's assemble and continue this discussion later on at another time here at the Speakeasy Podcast. So I thank all of my panelists, Nicholas Giles, Yvette Lisa Jones, Doreen Letson Reed, Rodney C. Burris with the five unknown children, he doesn't know where they came from, uh, Pastor Cockfield and B. Jacqueline Jeter. I thank each of you for joining me here at the roundtable today. And to our listening audience, may God bless you today. Tomorrow and always, and have a good evening. Take care. Oh my God. Good night, everybody.
4: Good night. Good
3: night. Good night. night.